Thank you. Hallelujah. Boy, how many came here today to receive? Well, I hope so. I hope so, because the Lord's here and he wants to, he's came ready to give. So, um, he's really good like that. Um, but we're going to gather around the table of grace. Uh, the meal, we're going to partake of the meal that heals here in a minute. And so I, I want you to prepare to receive from the Lord everything that he wants to give to you. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what he does want to give to you today based on <clears throat> the cross of Calvary. Um, for, I'm going to begin in Romans 1.16. And the Bible says there, and this is the, um, I think the King James Version not positive, but anyway, um, in Romans 1, 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God, the power of God unto salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So the Bible tells us if you are looking for the power of God, that it is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has, contains the power of God. The word power there is the word we've used many, many times. It's a Greek word, dunamis, and it means miracle working power. It doesn't mean stronger muscles, okay? It means miracle working power, the power of, of God. And so that's the word power there in Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God unto something, it is unto salvation. The word salvation there is the noun version of the word sozo, soteria, and it means to rescue, to bring to safety. It means health, deliverance, preservation, safety. It means to make whole. So it's the all-inclusive word of the gospel, sozo, that means way more than just going, getting a one-way ticket and going to heaven when you die. That's, that's part of our salvation. Hallelujah. It's true and it's real and something we can look forward to and we should look forward to. But salvation, much of salvation and what Jesus has provided for us is for right here, right here on planet earth. Amen. The here and now. So we learn that the gospel is the power of God or brings the power of God. Uh, brings this, uh, uh, unto salvation. So um, with that in mind, I just want to share this scripture from 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-six. 26. And this is the amplified version. It says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are representing and signifying and proclaiming the fact of the Lord's death until he comes. So actually, in the communion, in the participation of Holy Communion Church, we are proclaiming the gospel. The gospel is being proclaimed when we partake of these elements that represent the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We are proclaiming, the J.B. Phillips says, you are proclaiming that the Lord has died for you. Hallelujah. You're making it personal. You're proclaiming that you are, you are saved because Jesus has died for you. The RSV version says that you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. The Passion Translation says you are retelling the story, proclaiming the Lord's death. So all these different translations confirm the fact that in the uh, giving and receiving of the communion table, um, we are preaching the gospel. We're preaching the gospel. So what? So considering what I just said in Romans chapter one sixteen, what is happening? 
when we preach the gospel. It brings the power of God unto deliverance, the power of God unto safety, the power of God unto healing, the power of God unto deliverance, the power of God unto wholeness. This is, what, this is why we believe that when we partake of communion in this church um, or at home or wherever you are, that the power of the cross is released in our midst and we can expect miraculous things to happen. Because it's the dunamis, the miracle-working power of God. Amen? So I'm going to go over today to um, Isaiah 53, and I'm going to begin um, in verse 3. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I don't have a real long time to preach because we're going to partake of communion. We don't want to rush through that. We want to take our time, you know. So there's so much I could say, but I, I just really prayed about what what part of communion to share with you today because there's so many so much you could say about it and I'm going to begin in Isaiah 53 and read in verse 3 it says he was despised and rejected and forsaken by men a man of sorrows and pains and he was acquainted with grief and sickness and he was like one from whom uh, men hid their hide their faces he was despised And we did not appreciate his worth or have any esteem for him. Surely he has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses, and carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. And that's what everybody that was standing there thought. Maybe not everybody, but most of the people that were standing by that saw him crucified, they thought he was being punished by God because of his blasphemy, because he had made himself out to be the son of God. And they basically were reveling in what they thought was a, a, a display of God's judgment and God's punishment upon Jesus. It says that, we, um, that, we, that, he, that he was afflicted by God, we thought. We considered him, or they considered him, ignorantly considered him, stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. You know, leprosy also, too, in that day was considered a judgment of God. If you had leprosy, it wasn't only a terrible physical thing, but it was a social reproach because it was considered a judgment from God. So this is what everybody thought when Jesus was being crucified on the cross. But I love the next verse. It says, but... He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. Wasn't what he did. He wasn't suffering because of what he did. He was suffering because of what we've done. Amen? And, and the, body, the Bible says in Isaiah 52 that his body was marred beyond any man's. Beyond the son of man. Beyond any man's. What does that mean? Well, I believe it m- means that he was mutilated... Beyond any other person ever to be injured or, or tormented or put to death or crucified. That he, his was an extraordinary display. And this is that men hid their faces because he was a, he, it, it looked as though he was not even a human being. He, did, he quit looking. He stopped looking like he was a person because all that was done to him on the cross and before the cross um, of Calvary. Now, I'm, I'm not going to go into all of it today, but 
You need to study it sometime about all the suffering that he endured. It wasn't just the crucifixion. It was so much more than that. He was brutally beaten. He was hit with fists. He was spat upon. He was hit with rods. Um, he was already bloodied and bruised and pretty, you know, beat up before he ever went to the cross. Then they put that crown of thorns on his head and pressed it down. And we're not talking about a little rose bush. We're talking about big old thorns about like that down upon his head. And, and of course, it you know, bled. And then he went to the cross. And, and so everybody said, oh, God, he's getting what he got coming to him. He was a blasphemer. But I love that prophet Isaiah. But he was wounded. Not for his transgressions, but for our transgressions. He was bruised, bruised for our guilt and iniquities. I'm not going to be guilty if he took my guilt. I'm not going to go around with guilt if he took my guilt. But he, it's not if he took it, he did take it. He took my guilt. Every single one of us have something to feel guilty about. I can guarantee it. But he took your guilt he took all of your iniquity. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. Church, he... he I'm going to get ahead of myself. But he necessarily bore every sickness and every pain of every single person on the planet because he bore the sin Sickness is the outworking of sin. And so when he paid the price for our sin, he also, church, not in a separate act or some, some a different compartment or something, you know, or, a bat, or sort of a, an addendum to what he provides for us. No, health and healing and well-being and soundness is part and parcel of what he redeemed us from. Amen? I want to talk just for a minute this morning about the great exchange, and that's what we call it. And it's what happened at the cross, the, the series of exchanges. I, do, I don't have them all this morning because you, you, could, you could make your own list. There's all, so many things that Jesus took for you in exchange, gave you something else. And that's what we're celebrating here today. That's what we're celebrating at the communion table today. And I, the reason I want to share this is I, I believe that, that, um, that people here are going to receive. I believe you need to, there are people here that need to receive what the cross provides for you. It is not going, doing communion, taking communion is not a ritual. It's not a religious exercise. It's none of those things. It is a powerful, powerful um, uh, transaction between us and God, when we remind ourselves, we remind, we're, we, the Bible says we call to remembrance. Well, we're not calling God to remember. He didn't, you know, we're calling ourselves to remember. We're the ones that forget from one Sunday to the next, you know what I'm saying? And so we have to recall ourselves to remember and, and, and on purpose look at the cross, on purpose to, uh, evaluate what Jesus has done for us at the cross, on purpose take it in, on purpose ponder it, on purpose think about it, on purpose meditate about it, and on purpose receive from it. So Jesus bore your sin so you could have his righteousness. He bore your sin. He took your sin. He was righteous. How many believe Jesus was righteous? What, is, what does that mean? That he had right standing with God. He could stand before God without any sense of fear or inferiority or condemnation. He was God. He was the son of God. But he could be in God's presence without being afraid, without, you know, without a sense of condemnation. 
That is righteousness. That is right standing with God. Jesus earned, he, the Bible says he emptied himself of all of his deity privileges when he came to this planet. So he, he earned that right standing with God by doing everything right. But at the cross, church, he took your sin and he exchanged it for his righteousness. He has given righteousness to you as a free gift. You know, there's no other way to get righteous except to receive it as a free gift. You're never going to be righteous any other way except just saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. Jesus took your sickness and your pain. Amen. Hallelujah. He took your sickness and your pain so that you could be healed and whole. I know that pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know that this morning, but, I got, but it's the truth. It's the truth. I've already talked about it for a minute from Isaiah 53, but that, that surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. By his stripes we are healed. You didn't say by his stripes you're going to be healed, even though the prophet Isaiah was looking forward to the cross. Peter wrote it later and said by his stripes we were healed looking back to the cross so the cross of Jesus Christ also he took your sicknesses that's the reason his body didn't look like a human being he was suffering all the sickness and disease and pain and torment of every man every woman every child for all time amen Jesus took your anxiety and fear mental torment so you could have his peace in exchange that's a whole six-week series. <laughs> I can't really teach it in five minutes, but let me just say that his peace means it's more than just tranquility, although it includes tranquility. Church, the word peace means complete, complete. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Think about that for a minute. He took all your anxiety, all your fear, all your mental torment, all your worry, all your care, so you could be complete and have no anxiety, amen, in the culture that we're living in. It's just something, it's just the way people live. But church, we don't need to live that way because Jesus took your anxiety and gave you his peace. He, gave, he took your feeling of something's wrong, something's just not right. You know, that's kind of what anxiety does. You just feel like something's wrong. Jesus made it right. He made you complete and gave you his peace. Jesus became poor so you could become abundantly supplied. The Greek word there is the word plutios, and it means <laughs> wealthy. It means more than enough. I know it's terrible to say that word in church. It's almost like cussing, you know, to say that word in church, but it's the truth. Jesus became poor. Poverty was part of the curse that, that sin brought into the earth. Jesus was stripped of his raiment and, law, and, and, and had nothing, was stripped naked. On the cross, became poor so that you could be abundantly supplied. Church, if you don't believe me, you need to look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9, okay? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He was forsaken by God so we could be eternally united to God. Amen. How many know that he cried out to God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that moment when he was made, the Bible says to be sin. He was forsaken. We will never know that as believers, church. Don't ever let the devil tell you that you're going to be forsaken by God. You need to point to the cross and say, Jesus was forsaken, so I never will be. I am eternally united to God. In fact, I am one spirit with the Lord, the Bible says. He was judged and condemned so we could be acquitted. 
by the heavenly courts of justice. Can you say acquitted? acquitted. Say, I am, I am acquitted, acquitted. By, God. by God. There's no higher court, church. So your judgment was taken by Jesus. Your sentence was taken by Jesus. Your condemnation was taken by Jesus. So you could walk free from any sense of condemnation. Amen. That is found in Romans 4.25 and various other places in the Bible. But I just want to close with this thought. In Luke chapter 22, um, I'm going to begin reading in verse 41. And Jesus said, I mean, and he didn't say it, just about him. But anyway, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing... Remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours always be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him in spirit. And being in an agony of mind, he prayed all the more earnestly and intently. And his sweat became like great clots of blood dripping down upon the ground. Um, so, you know, you know the story in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, um, and this is not... Jesus praying, if it be thy will. Okay, that, that's where that comes from in Christian circles. He's not praying. Jesus knew what the will of God was. He knew what God's will. He wasn't saying if he knew it was God's will. He said, if it's possible, could we do this some other way? Do we have to do this? I mean, like he was, he was agonizing over what he knew. He knew exactly what was going to befall him. He knew everything that was going to happen to him from the garden on to the tomb and then beyond. <laughs> Hallelujah. But he said, if you could, could you just let th this cup pass from me? If you could. And he began to sweat, you know, drops of blood because he was in such agony. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says in verse 16, the cup of blessing that word is uh, eulogia, and it means um, commendation, blessing. We've talked about blessing for weeks in here. The um, commendation, benefit, or largesse, to bounty, to have bounty or to prosper. So the, so the Bible calls um, the communion cup the cup of God's blessing. So one of the exchanges that Jesus um, encountered was that he drank our cup of suffering and he gave us in exchange his cup of blessing church when we take this substance that is a representative of his blood i want you to know that you are drinking from the cup of his blessing let me read it to you from the message it says when we drink this cup of blessing aren't we taking into ourselves the blood the very life of Christ? And isn't it the same with the loaf of bread that we break and eat? Don't we take into ourselves the body, the very life of Christ? Because there is one lo loaf, our, one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness. Christ doesn't become fragmented in us. Rather, we become united in him. We don't reduce Christ to what we are. He raises us to what he is. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.